everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys across the country and really get into what it takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Joining us today is Darren Heitner of Heitner Legal. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So before we go into some awesome tips you're going to share on sports law and starting up your firm, can you give everybody a brief rundown of who you are? Sure. Born and raised in South Florida. Still live in Fort Lauderdale today. Took a break from South Florida to go uh, and attend school in Gainesville, where I went to the University of Florida for undergrad and also for law school. Later on in life, more recently, had the unique opportunity of actually teaching at my alma mater uh, in the graduate school, which I didn't attend, but then also in the law school, teaching a sports law class. Uh, I am a practicing attorney. I have my own law firm called Heitner Legal. We do specialize in working on sports and entertainment related issues, transactional affairs, intellectual property, litigation, et cetera. And again, I am based in Fort Lauderdale. I've, I've written a couple of books on the sports law subject published by the American Bar Association. They're called How to Play the Game, What Every Sports Attorney Needs to Know. And there's a couple editions of that. And on the side, I, I've enjoyed writing for a few publications. I've written for Forbes, Inc., uh, Now Above the Law. So kind of have my hand in a, in a variety of things. Fantastic. So we're going to get into that in a little bit more detail. Uh, before that, I want to give a shout out to our uh, episode. Our last episode was on Monday with Sean Mendez. Aaron, what's the best way for them to interact with you? I'd say online via email or social media as opposed to phone. Uh, I actually don't even put my phone number in my email signature or on my website, or at least if I do, I kind of hide it because I'm much better with actively communicating over email um, or on social media. But on social media, you can find me at Darren Heitner, and the last name's H-E-I-T-N-E-R on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find me by my name, Darren Heitner, on LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook, et cetera. So I'm, I'm pretty quick to respond. Actually, one of the big things that I state to clients or potential clients is, unlike many lawyers who take a long time to respond and may not be very strong active communicators, that's exactly what you get with us. There we go. Yeah, I mean, I, it's always interesting to me because I read the Florida Bar Journal for all the things that they punish people for, and it's always <laughs> like trust account and not talking to clients. And then you talk to people and they're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't call my clients back. And I'm like, what do you, uh, what do you expect? Yeah. It's awesome that you've prioritized that quick communication. Fortunately, you have not seen my name there and hopefully never will. Correct. I've, I've only seen your name in the positive stuff with some of the uh, <laughs> cases you've been on, some of the people you've represented. So I want to talk, though, how did you get into sports law? How, you know, how did that become your thing? It became my thing because I never thought that I would actually practice sports law. I never thought I would be a lawyer. So when I went to law school, I had just created a sports agency from scratch. And I spent the three years of law school building that sports agency with the intention of pursuing further growth thereafter and never actually practicing law. Lo and behold, I moved back down to Fort Lauderdale from Gainesville. This was 2010. Took a lunch meeting with a firm. They asked me what I was doing. I explained exactly what I just said that I was going to be working on my sports agency. And they said, well, why don't you just check out what we're doing here? And it was interesting because 
in law school, I had opportunities to clerk at various law firms, and I declined those opportunities to work on my sports agency. So here I was, somebody who had a good legal education at UF, but zero practical experience. And I ended up actually taking a job at that firm for exactly a year. And I always say it was the best and worst experience. It was great because I was thrown into the fire right away, doing depositions, going to hearings, and so on and so forth. It was miserable because it was a topic, it was a subject area that I wasn't interested in. I was doing a lot of insurance defense. So what I did was when I had the spare time, I would try my best to write things, build my expertise, build my knowledge base with sports, with entertainment, with IP. And that's where I started to build a book of business, really even in the first year of practicing. Ultimately went to another firm, worked there for three and a half years before starting my own. So in essence, you were basically keeping your brand in this area sort of on the side nights and weekends when you could? Yeah, that, that, that's a good way of putting it. Plus, when I decided to pivot ultimately, and the nice thing about the first firm that I was with is it was a small firm that allowed me to continue to build my sports agency on the side as long as it didn't conflict with what they were doing, as long as it didn't take away from the time commitment that I had to have with that firm. Obviously, there's billing requirements, right? So I was able to continue to build that sports agency on the side and then when I ultimately decided to pivot and no longer practice as a sports agent, I said, well, I've got these connections. I didn't burn bridges with my competitors. Let's try to turn them into clients. And I ultimately did that. I ended up getting a lot of sports agents and agencies as clients. And they have been amazing referral sources for athletes to then represent on the legal side. So what's what's the secret sauce in that i mean is that is it really did you unintentionally not burn those bridges were you intentionally building those relationships with the idea that this would happen i mean how did that take place yeah that's not my style i mean even throughout my 10 years of practicing 10 plus years of, of practicing as a lawyer is never burn a bridge i've had many adversaries uh who later on referred me clients i've had people and companies that I've gone up against in litigation that later hired me on different issues. And I think, I think you can accomplish your goals and still not burn those bridges and retain relationships and even build relationships. So, you know, I, I know you, you can be adversarial, you can be aggressive and represent the interests of your clients without disgusting your competitors. And that's certainly what I did when I was trying to grow my sports agency. And it's what I've practiced for 10 plus years as a lawyer. I, I tried to retain relationships and build relationships with opposing counsel. It doesn't always happen, but I try my best. So then it seems like you've got kind of the best of both worlds here. You're getting the legal experience in insurance defense. You're building the connections from the sports agency and then you just kind of make the decision to merge them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, I wonder, and I, I was asked this question earlier today by somebody who is considering going to law school. Uh, you know, it, it's, how do you actually build, build it up? How do you build a practice from scratch? And, you know, the bottom line is there's, there's no secret sauce. It, it, for me, it was a, a combination of having that experience 
And I don't know how some people go straight from law school into practicing law. I give them a lot of credit, especially those that are successful. For me, I needed that experience. And even after one year of practicing as an insurance defense, I didn't think that was enough for me to go out on my own. Perhaps that's because I didn't clerk when I was in law school. I still needed three, three and a half more years under the uh, advice of a mentor, of somebody who had a lot of experience in the particular areas. And, and in my second firm, I was working under someone with 30 plus years of relevant experience in the entertainment world. So I was trying to soak up all that information, take the best practices and learn what I didn't want to do as well. Uh, but certainly it was a combination of getting that experience initially doing insurance defense, which is civil litigation. And, uh, and then, yeah, not, not burning bridges and trying to continue to build on existing relationships and build new ones. And you never know what will turn from those. So was there a moment that made you decide to make the pivot or is it just something that kind of, you knew it was going to happen eventually? Like how did that happen? No, I, I wasn't planning on starting my own firm. Um, I was very happy for a very long time at my second firm in Miami. And what initially spurred me thinking differently was I was, I was on the I-95 for anyone who's familiar. And it was early in the morning. I was driving down to a meeting and I got into a, a pretty serious car accident hit from behind and my car started turning 360s where I ended up facing oncoming traffic on 95. It was extremely scary. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I actually thought to myself, you know, am I truly fulfilled? Am I happy, truly happy with what I'm doing? And could I change anything in my life to improve on my happiness and potential success? So that was honestly what started causing my mind to run in that direction as to whether or not I wanted to change what I was doing and create something for myself. And then it was a matter of my boss who at that point considered me, I guess, a junior partner making certain promises to me about salary and name on the firm and not really fulfilling those promises. It was clients who were asking that I handle very important issues and hearings as opposed to my boss who was more than 30 years my elder that provided confidence and then finally clients who simply said we're with you and obviously a departing lawyer you give the client the option say stay with the firm come with me go somewhere else which is exactly what I did but when the clients were saying we're going with you that made it a lot easier of a decision because I knew I wasn't starting a firm from, from true scratch without any clients whatsoever. And I was hopeful that those clients would recognize my situation and take joy in referring me to others. So other than, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, we don't want anybody else to have to deal with I-95, especially in the near-death experience. So other than yeah. that part of that, you know, near death moment of aha, is there anything that you would want to change about the experience of what you did leading into starting your own firm? Or is that something you think is a good path for most other attorneys? Uh, well, first of all, I'm firmly of the belief and opinion of having no regrets. I think 
we all wouldn't be where we are today, but for every single experience in our lives. So who knows if I would have changed anything, if I'd even be in the situation today, or if it would be a better or worse situation. So I, I, I hate to think too hard in, in that and whether or not I, anything should have been done differently. But as to what's the best path, I'm also a firm believer that to each his or her own. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to reach the ultimate destination, to reach whatever that pinnacle of success may be for you. And even success, I think, is a subjective, a subjectively defined term. My, my view of success could be very different than your view of success. And someone's view of success could be making $5 million a year. Another person's view of success could be doesn't matter how much money as long as I can survive and travel the world. So that said, again, we can have different views of what success is, and certainly there's no magic formula as to getting to, to that level. Um, you just have to, you do want a game plan and, and, and follow that plan and be passionate and be persistent and be driven and never, never lose sight of what the end goal is. So I love your mindset on that. I mean, it is especially coming from a fellow lawyer. It is so nice to hear, you know, the understanding of being happy and finding that moment. So then let me flip the question a little bit, because I know you talked about, you know, you were talking to somebody this morning who was making that decision on, you know, starting their own firm or, or asking you questions about it. So then what advice did you give to that person or what advice did you give to a, a new lawyer or a lawyer who's not sure if they're ready to make that jump? Well, I think it's a lot of introspection that's required. You have to be comfortable with yourself first and foremost. Um, and you have to ask yourself really difficult questions. Perhaps the most difficult one is, do I have the requisite knowledge and experience in order to actually perform the tasks to benefit clients, right? We are all fiduciaries, you know, at our core, we are agents ourselves. We are fiduciaries with the responsibility to do what's in the best interest of the clients. And you're doing a disservice to others if you're just trying your best to sign up clients without actually having the capacity to end up serving them. So I think that's really the most important thing is, is having that self-confidence and, and an understanding that you actually have the capacity to provide the services that are going to be requested of you. Um, Reputation is extremely important. It follows you throughout your life. So that's a very important decision starting up your own firm because if you crash and burn or if you don't handle an issue properly, that could end up either snowballing and, and perhaps even killing your career. So it's a really important decision to make. And, 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 and obviously another important consideration is just having the, the, the necessary resources to survive should it not go according to plan at first. I mean, I'm fortunate. I had the clients come with me and in seven years, I can't remember a day that I wondered, what can I get done? Like I'm, I'm bored, but that may not be true for everyone. And you have to be able to survive in the case of that. And it's interesting, though, because, I mean, obviously, you walk the walk that you're talking here. I mean, I can't imagine another attorney having the sports agency knowledge 
plus the legal experience, you know, plus the understanding of all this. So it's cool to see, you know, how you've been able to use that to your benefit. Um, in addition to those things, though, I mean, what have you found to be the best way to build your business? I mean, obviously, it seems like doing a phenomenal job for the clients, being super knowledgeable, but like, what else have you done to, you know, be so successful? I think naturally it's that I'm an early adopter. So when I'm a big fan of technologies and, and, and I guess the second part of that is timing has been very good for me, but I, but I do believe it's a confluence of the timing and the early adoption. I mean, when I was going through law school and even just prior to that in undergrad, right, Facebook launched when I was and what became accessible to college students, at least at the University of Florida, when I was a sophomore. And Twitter really started becoming a thing when I was in law school and sort of LinkedIn at that time and so on and so forth. And I think what was huge for me is I became an early adopter of those technologies, as well as the fact that I had mediums such as Forbes, where I wrote for six years, Inc. Magazine, where I wrote for four years, now above the law, where I can easily disseminate my ideas, which brings a level of credibility, but I can also put my name out there to people who already know me, but also to others because of this ability to so easily share the content of others on these platforms, I can reach people that have never heard of me tomorrow just because of these tools that we have. And so I think that's, I, I've never spent a dollar on advertising. I told you that before we started on this, on this chat. And yet I've been able to grow in a way, it's obviously a big part of that is referrals from existing clients. Most important, do a good job for your that's going to be the best referral you can ever have. But after that, it's just, it's, I, tell, I tell a lot of students now who ask me that question, it's like, we are all brands. We are all brands. And we should consider ourselves marketing agents of those brands as well. We have such capacity to build and grow and shape our brands. We can also kill and burn our brands if we say the wrong thing. But it's so, it's so cool to be alive right now because 20 years ago, you couldn't go on Twitter. You couldn't go on Facebook. You couldn't share these thoughts with others. It would have been incredibly difficult to express your beliefs, to show your expertise, to meet new people. And I, I just think it's, it, it's so easy to do today. All right. So I want to follow up on that question. Um, let me know if we're going to get uh... – confidentiality issue uh, let me, i'm going to do my best to keep a name out of here or some names out of here from what okay. you're talking about the brand i mean and obviously you've represented a number of athletes so a number of famous people i know i've seen your name on you know espn representing people and whatnot how do you still manage to keep your brand going in the right direction even when you're representing somebody who's having an emotional breakdown or doing something wrong or in the news for all the wrong reasons well i think Look, everybody deserves appropriate, adequate, strong representation. And unfortunately, you know, the media has such power to shape our perception of individuals and issues 
and entire stories may not be, we may not have all the information necessary to truly come to an opinion on a particular individual company or situation. Um, I, I, I hope that the result of my representation of perhaps controversial individuals or, or being involved in particularly controversial issues, I hope the takeaway is that here's a guy who is very powerfully advocating for his client and for his client's positions, as opposed to here's a guy who is not, you know, who made a mistake and should not be associated with this particular individual. And, you know, fortunately, I haven't had many issues where I felt the need to uh, remove myself from representation. In fact, in 10 plus years of practicing, I can only think of one. And I, but what I think is important is that if as a lawyer, if as a fiduciary, if as an agent, you can call yourself whatever, if you're providing services to a principal, and you don't believe at, at some point in time in that representation, you think it's against your morals, that you, you'd not be afraid to make the bold decision to make a move. And I have done that on one occasion before. Um, and it, it's not confidential because it's, it's a public filing where I moved to withdraw. And that was after a couple of years of representing Antonio Brown. Um, I just, at, at, at that point in time, at the end of the representation, I felt as though uh, there were many reasons why I did that, but one of the chief reasons was uh, it was a client that I felt, not, not because of the legal claims that were made, but because of who he had become, I didn't feel comfortable representing. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I take my hat off to you because we see so many opportunities where you know, somebody gets a giant case for a famous client, and then suddenly they, the attorney, become the story. And I think you've done such a really good job growing a business and by not doing that or and not doing that. Yeah, I try my best not to. And I think what a lot of people would find interesting are the myriad issues that I handle that you never, ever hear or find out about. And um, I much prefer working with a client, keeping it confidential, not letting it get out to the public, and again, accomplishing that client's goal without anyone ever knowing that there was an issue or that I was ever a part of it. And I can't tell you how many times that occurs. Uh, you know, you, a lot of people in guess, the sports world know me for the trademark filings that I because they're public filings and it's not a bad thing, right? People are branding themselves. But what about all the really serious, bad issues that never come to light that I was a part of that you'll never know? I think that's, that's sort of the, that's, that's one of the more interesting parts of my practice, which is that there's so much here in the mind that I know that you'll never know and I will never say anything about it because more than anything, I take my job extremely seriously and if a client can't trust me, there goes my practice, especially representing high net wealth individuals, celebrities, athletes. If, if you can't trust me to keep my mouth shut, I'm done.
so we won't be expecting a uh, tell-all book from you at any time. <laughs> no, and I think if I did, there'd probably be people trying to kill me. So, uh, no, I, I think I'll keep my mouth shut. Hey, that's a huge testament to you, though, and the amazing work that you've done to, to have that, to be involved in things that are that serious and make them not end up with you or have them never come to light. It's, uh, it's often a goal, which is to make sure that we're able to put out fires. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the, the fire is there when it shouldn't be. And, you know, again, that's, that's my job is to make sure that these people are protected. Absolutely. All right. So as we get to the end of this chat with Darren Heitner of Heitner Legal, We've got two shows coming up next week on Monday the 18th at 1.30. We have Moshe Amsel here of Dream Builder Financial. He's going to talk to us about the financial goals that a firm needs to look for and some of those, as well as talking about his upcoming summit, the Law Firm Growth Summit. Then on Thursday the 21st of February – nope, sorry, of January. I'm jumping ahead. The 21st of January. Uh, next week at 1.30 we have Steve Preston. Steve's the host of the Be That Lawyer podcast and a business development expert who's going to talk to us about the importance of business development. But before we let you go, Darren, while we still have your brain to pick here, yeah. what's, what's the biggest piece of advice? What's the biggest – what's your life motto? What's the most important thing that you want to share with somebody who takes you know nothing out of the last half an hour but will remember this final piece of insight? Yeah, I think – Anyone who's heard me before ask this question, it, it's likely repetitive, but um, I always say Nike has a slogan, just do it. And I love that slogan, but I think there's, a, there's an inherent flaw in it because it assumes that we know what it is. And so my, my modification to that is just do something. And I think there's a lot of people out there, um, including probably us, who have amazing ideas and don't act on them and are afraid of failure. And so my comment to just do something is don't wait for some sort of verification that you've got the right idea. You've got an idea, you're interested in it, you're passionate about it, go for it, give it a shot. If in 2014, I thought to myself, you know, I really should create a law firm, but I didn't, who knows where I'd be today? So, yeah, just do something. I love that. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a similar proverb that the uh, the best time to plant a tree was ten years ago, which I always follow up with. And yet, people still plant trees. So you know, it's it's a wonderful thing to get people finally back on the path, hopefully to success and happiness, and however they define those things. So, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You as well.